We're in Romans chapter 12. I don't know if you can hear me well or not. I may just want to bring it up. What's that? Are we loud enough? Brian says we're loud enough, so I guess we're loud enough. Brian actually would like me to be turned down. No, I'm kidding. Um, Romans chapter 12. I think I debated all week about whether to go back and read in verse chapter 11 again, and I think I will um, because it's so good. Verse 33 of Romans 11 says, Oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things. And to whom be glory forever. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we look at this passage that you would reveal not only new truths to us, but that you would reveal even just a greater understanding of who you are. Because we have been made to worship. And so help us to walk in that. Help us to see the importance of that. And help us to allow your spirit to flow out of our lives to flow out of a heart of worship because you are a great and you are a wonderful God. And as you wrote in your word, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. And all God's people said, amen. So this is the third week that we're in this passage. I think, I think, we're probably done after this week. Um, although this is, to me, this is so rich. This is so valuable. Um, and I remember, actually, I remember last Sunday, I skipped over part of verse 1. I don't know if you caught that or not. Because um, I, was, I was really trying to get all of verse 2 done, which I didn't do anyway. Um, but I want, so I want to back up into verse 1 um, and, and just kind of take a look at, where it says your reasonable service. Now, I know that some of you have different translations. For the last word in verse 1, does anybody have the word worship? Okay, ESV says worship. Okay. Yeah, NIV. Okay. Um, It's probably a better translation. Your reasonable worship. And, and, And so... This idea of presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And to be able to, uh, as it tells us in verse 2, to not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
Acceptable in verse 1, what is acceptable to God? Acceptable in verse 2, I think jointly, what is acceptable to God, but also what is acceptable to us. As we reason, as we work through these things with God. But, but the thing is, the, the flow here, this idea of reasonable service or reasonable worship. Now, it's, it's a, it, this word reasonable was actually... Um, it's one of, one of Aristotle's favorite words about being able to reason, being able to be carefully think things through, um, something to be very thoughtful about, to have a thoughtful service, to have a thoughtful act of worship. Do you, so this, this really, to me, opens up a lot of questions as... as we look at the word reasonable worship, thoughtful worship, something that you have given great time to really think through. And I think often it is is that we think worship is what we do before the message. And it is. And um, I actually really, there there have been times that, I was gonna that I really wanted to go totally off the map and just start singing songs that I hope you all knew and just let the message go for a Sunday. Um, and sometimes I just might do that. Uh, most of the time, my voice won't hold out. Um, but but the importance of just being in a place where we declare, back in verse thirty-six of eleven. I've said it twice now: for him, uh, of him, through him, to him are all things, and to him be the glory forever. Amen. That's an incredible expression of worship in that verse. And we believe it. I think we all believe it. But sometimes in the heat of the moment, we either A, forget it, or B, wish we didn't believe it, or C, hope that God's not looking, right? And we just plow ahead. And we set aside the heart of worship. We set aside the act of worship. Worship is so much more than what we do when we gather, although I do believe not only is it, is it, is it uh, uh, given to us in Scripture as, a, as something that we are to do, but... but there's something very special about the communion of the saints and the coming together and 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 to be able to be in a place where where jointly we are able to worship God and to listen to other people sing the praises of God and and, and before that to be in this context where we get to hear about each other's lives and 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 be, become knit together as a community become part of the called out ones, the ecclesia, which is translated church in the English. And, and um, that is so important, but your worship shouldn't stop when you walk out the building. Now, understandably, there are times that I feel much closer to God during the day than others. 
right? I'm not one of those morning devotion types, okay? And I know that it, I, I, I'm, I'm not awake yet. We really should start church at 1. I think I would be in a much better place. I'm a musician. We don't get up early, right? But, you know, it's, it, it, and, and what I keep, have been lately, for some reason, sensing the, the message from God is, is to not allow other people to lay a trip on you, but you work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Do what works for you. And if you are a morning person, God bless you. Don't call me, right? At least in the morning. You know, um, I was going to go on a rant, but I'm going to set it aside because it's not important. But there are other times of the day that I feel much closer to God as if I've entered into a space of worship than others. And I think that's pretty normal. Well, maybe I'm not the best judge of normal. I don't know. But, but I, I think that's pretty normal. But what I attempt to do as I go throughout my day and week is I try to keep connected. I try to stay connected to God. I, um, I, I like praying the Psalms. I, I like just spending time and just reading the Psalms as prayers to God. Sometimes I worry about my own prayer life and I think God gets tired of me saying, um, you know, um, <clears throat> But, but to be able to really, be, because prayer is so much more, uh, and to me, prayer and worship go hand in hand. Prayer is so much more than telling God what I want done. It's reporting for duty, number one. It's communion, number two. It's a lifestyle, number three. It's more than just an event. It's a life. And I feel the same way about worship. It is more than just an event. It is a life. Because sometimes in my worship of God, it means that I will have to do things that I really don't want to. Maybe that's just me, right? Lord, I'm going to honor you as the Lord of my life, and therefore you've told me to do certain things, and therefore I'm going to have to do them as an act of worship. Because again, what do we see here in verse 1? This idea of presenting your body a living sacrifice. As I mentioned to you two weeks ago, this word present is a technical term. It was the term that was used by the Greeks and the Romans to bring a sacrifice into their false gods. And it was the actual work of the presentation of the sacrifice. Which is interesting because this word service, it's the Greek word lutreia, it refers to the act or the process that was done in the temple. This is going back to the Septuagint. Remember, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The act of or the mechanics of or the things that the priests did in their worshiping of God. Kind of like what we do when we are together. I play the guitar. Hopefully you sing loud enough that you don't have to listen to me. And, and we sing along and we worship together. It's part of the act of worship, the lutreia, the service. 
It's this idea of performing a worship to God. It really even refers to this idea of a religious service as a duty, which we don't like to talk a lot about, do we? But if we have been bought and paid for with a price, as Paul said to the Corinthians, and, and, and he, he even tells us that we're to, to, um, to glorify God in our bodies. That's a sense of duty. That's a sense of obligation. But it, it's, I think sometimes we, we look at that in a negative sense. When in reality, the, the sense of duty, the sense of obligation is really God's invitation to you to invite you to step into to something that you would not normally do. To invite you to step into something that you would not normally embrace. That's why I actually enjoy reading people that I disagree with. Now, I don't have a huge collection of books of people that I disagree with, but I... I I, I, I think it's important to read people that I disagree with because that's part of where the sharpening of iron, uh, of iron comes into play. And that's where I really get to test out my own personal theology. Now, I much prefer reading those whom I agree with, obviously. But, but, but part of, I think, what God has called us into is a life of communion with him that will, in fact, challenge us from time to time. And when it's challenging, it's very what? It's very uncomfortable. I told you the story that I had just started a second master's program. I'm reading Plato's Republic. I sat and read about three paragraphs or so. I did not remember a thing I read. I did not, I did not even understand what I read. And I remember thinking, I'm in trouble. I've just spent a bunch of money, and I, I don't even have any idea of what I'm doing in this program. It challenged me. It pushed me. It caused me to, to, to really, I, I had to find some den, dendrites. Help me out, Clay. Some dendrites, some neurotransmitters. They're somewhere in the brain to try to connect and start to really understand what it was that I was engaging with. But I think in our spiritual life, it, is, it, it really isn't that much different that God will call us into times that are challenging, times that are difficult, and and. We're called to walk in those things a, as an wa- act of worship to him. And B, to remain in an act of worship to him in spite of the difficulty, which I will admit to you is not the easiest thing to do. Deep calls out to deep. Psalm 42.7, my favorite verse, talks about. And, 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 and it's this invitation that the Lord is beckoning you and I to become deeper, fuller people in our relationship to Jesus Christ. And that translates really into what we call becoming more Christ-like. Where we get to know him more. Where we get to know him to a fuller degree. 
this idea of, of worshiping him and, and, and that everything that we move forward, that, that our entire move in, that our entire life really is a calling uh, from God upon us to be acts of worship. And some of them are at a little bit higher than others, right? There are certain times of the day. There are certain times of the day that I don't feel as close to God. Now, in the morning, I actually try it. I've got to go back to it, actually. I read a prayer book. And I pray written prayers. It, it just helps for me. Gets me out of my, the personal silo. You know, the personal silo? You know, the silo of Mike? You don't want to get in there, trust me. <laughs> I don't want you in there, actually. Um, but it's, it's this place where I, I avail myself to the Spirit of God to use different things to expand my understanding of Him. And remember when I said that when I have a greater understanding of God's mercy then it gives me a greater capacity to present my body as a living sacrifice. So it's cyclical here. Verse 1 begins in, by the mercies of God. It ends in worship, which takes me right back to the mercies of God. Because God didn't have to save any of us. I don't know why he saved any of us, to be honest with you. And it, it amazes me that he puts up with us. Notice I'm going per, uh, plural instead of singular. <laughs> just, it just felt easier this morning. I don't know why God puts up with me. You know, and I'm, I, as I've shared with you many times before, I'm so glad that God is not like me. <laughs> I would have dropped the kick the earth a long time ago. This idea of being a living sacrifice, presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, walking in a way that is holy and walking in a way that is acceptable to God. That is our carefully thought through act of worship. To me, that is so full. That is so rich. Now, this, and I hope I'm not slicing the bread too thin here. But that tells me that I even have to spend time thinking about whether my worship is acceptable to him or not. What does my worship entail? I mean, I'm going to date myself here, but I think I'll date all of us. I think sometimes we think worship is the e-ticket in Disneyland. Okay, some of you are with me. So if, if not, you help your neighbor. But, uh, you know, we just think it's that, that, that experience. And, and yes, it can be. But worship is not about you and I. We've been made to worship. Saying it, worship is about God. It's about him. It's about his majesty. It's about his glory. 
is about recognizing all that he has done for us. And the thing is, as I think about this, is that, you know, I almost think of this comically. I think about my guardian angels, and I think I got an extra one because I need one. We don't know probably the half of how busy they are probably keeping us out of trouble. You don't know what you don't know, right? But, but I, sometimes I think God's mercy and his grace is so much greater than I even, even understand. So I reason through that. I carefully think through that. And sometimes it just boils down to a whispered prayer as I'm going for a walk. God, I just worship you, the God who I do not understand. And I'm okay with that. And I know that God's okay with that. And because of this calling of worship, this calling of closeness, this calling of intimacy, this calling of divine purpose, you ever think about that? Worship is our divine purpose. Because of that, then why would I want to be conformed to this world? Rather being transformed by the renewing of my mind. Again, it is that carefully thought through process that is the word acceptable. The renewing of my mind. That's what, this, uh, that's what renewing of your mind really, I think, really hits on here. What is my acceptable worship to you? And, and to me, that... To me, that's a... It, it's a question. And I'm having trouble articulating this, obviously. It's a question that I really don't quite know the answer of myself. So I, I'm, I thank God that Paul wrote stuff like, though we seem, we see, now we see dimly, yet later face to face, that then face to face. I know my understanding is partial. I know that sometimes the best I can do when I stand up and talk to you all is just touch the hem of the garment. And how much deeper and how much fuller it is than, than, than I can even at times articulate. But not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by renewing my mind, which I find interesting, not the word, the word renewing, which implies that something is going back to an original state. Now think about this. I'm almost thinking that's Eden. Before the fall. It doesn't exactly say this in the Bible. I thought it did one time, and I went and looked it up, and I was very disappointed. But there's still the concept of this idea of God walking with Adam in the cool of the day.
I think about that sometimes when I walk with God in the cool of the day, in the freezing of the day, and ask him if he and Adam wore parkas, right? You know, because it's so cold here, you know? Um, but, but just this idea of the two of them being together, the two of them communing, and then, and then bringing, bringing, we don't know how long it was before Eve was created that they fell. I'm under the impression it wasn't the next day, all right? So, ladies, Eve walked with God in the cool of the day in a perfect state. We like to refer to Adam as the head, of course, the head of humanity, but both man and woman walked with God in the cool of the day. And as we give careful, thoughtful thinking toward what our worship is to be, our minds are returning to Eden, in a sense. Or at least just a step closer. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Don't think I'm saying that you become perfect. I think some Wesleyans actually believe that, and I, I, I don't see how they could get there. First of all, I think if you believe that about yourself, what would enter in? Pride. But uh, then there's a problem. But, uh, but I think we take a step closer. By allowing our minds to be renewed. And it says, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, which is where I left off last week. This word prove means to discern. It also means that you put something to test. You try something out. As if you were going to, one of the biblical, uh, examples of the Bible is when you prove a, a team of oxen. You know, one way to I, I prove my instrument, I strum it to see if it's in tune. I had the horriblest time getting it in tune this morning. I don't know what problem was. Anyway, maybe it's my hearing. But but I, I try it. I play it. You know, when I, you notice sometimes I'll play something in between a song because I'll put a cape on or something and I'm just, I'm just trying to make sure everything works. I'm just proving it. I'm testing it. You know, the thing is, is that occasionally we need to take test drives in life. You know what I love? About, my favorite test drive is when the, it, for some reason, if you can get the car salesman to stay on the lot, which doesn't normally happen, right? They're usually, they're usually in the back seat to, or the front, they're riding shotgun just yammering my ear off, right? Telling me all the great things about this car and why I should buy it, right? Um, at least the last guy. And he was good. He was a good salesman. Um, but occasionally we need to take a test drive. When we believe that God is calling us in, in, in a certain direction or a certain thing to do, or uh, uh, this, that's part of the presenting our lives, a living, our, our bodies a living, uh, living sacrifice. That's part of being transformed because sometimes... 
Sometimes in life I have taken those spiritual test drives and they were not the right car for me. Imagine that. But I learned not to get in that car again. At least not as a driver. We prove by because our mind has been removed, re- renewed, excuse me, because we have given careful thought to our worship, we begin now from the heart of a person who worships God in spirit and in truth to begin to prove what God's will is. We test what God's will is. We start to determine what God's will is. Some, of peop- some people use the phrase, well, I threw out a fleece, which is, okay, if you want to use that one, I don't care. But it's, it, Gideon's fleece was not a matter of faith. It was a matter of, I really don't know what to do here. I guess it was the most faith he had, right? Gideon's been criticized, and maybe un, uh, unfairly so. But we prove that which God's will is for us. We test it out. Now, it tells us, prove what is that good. I looked up this word in the Greek. I actually forgot to write it in, so I can't pronounce it for you. I'd probably mispronounce it anyway. But this word in the Greek means something of a positive moral quality. Something of a positive moral quality. Now, if I want to know something, whether something is of a positive moral quality or not, I can read the Bible. And, and it's filled with, with descriptions of positive moral qualities. So I'm testing out, and I'm looking for something that's positive and of a moral quality. I'm looking for goodness. In, in this uh, word also, part of the, the, the uh, definition is this idea of a good act. Something that you do that is good. So it's implying in this verse that our worship is more than just something that we do on the couch. In other words, there needs to be an outflow of some type, somewhere, somehow. I'm being very vague on purpose because I want, I want God to lay the burden on you. I don't want to lay it on you. But we're to see what is the good act that we can be doing. And then, again, back to this word acceptable. What's interesting about this word acceptable, that, that it was used in, in, in Greek Roman culture when you said that someone was acceptable. We don't use it that way anymore, right? We usually go good, bad, fair, right? Something like that. Excellent. Horrible, right? But this word translated acceptable from the Greek, it, it was a word that was commonly said, especially about people who were noted for their civic-minded generosity. 
Now, let me unpack that a little bit. I couldn't quite read your lips on that, but that's okay. An acceptable person was someone who was recognized by their civic-minded generosity on how they engaged with their city. Are we part of a city? Hebrews, I love that verse where it says that, talks about all those who died, they died in faith having uh, not experienced the promises, but they had seen them afar off. Hebrews 11. And it, it said about them that they were looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. In other words, civic-minded generosity toward the kingdom of God, that's what I believe that he is implying here with this word acceptable. That we, we do things that, are, that are, are pleasing, things that are beneficial, things that we do in an act of generosity toward the kingdom of God, of which we are all citizens. We are a part of his city, kingdom of God, the city of God, because we are in the kingdom of God. And so how do we further the kingdom of God? You prove what is good and then also what is acceptable. Now, I said earlier, I think what is acceptable for you, but also what is acceptable to God. And this is the place where I believe it's possible that God may be calling you out of your comfort zone. Do you like it when God calls you out of your comfort zone? No, I don't. I still don't. I don't like being out of my comfort zone, period. It, it's, it's, there's that incredible stretching that you go through. But you know what I've found that there are times... And this is not always the case, by the way. But there are times, times when I feel like I'm being called out of my comfort zone that my comfort zone then begins to expand. And it's almost like, oh, I, hope, I wish that didn't. I wish that it had not it happened, right? You know, because we're comfortable being here, aren't we? And the reality is God's calling on our life may very well be something much vaster. Vaster? No, vaster is not a word. Uh, something larger, okay, uh, sorry, um, something greater, something that grow, glorifies God in areas that we never really even considered. Psalm 19, verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. To me, what's interesting is this word, and it, I, this word meditation in Psalm 19, 14. And I, I'm just going to touch on it briefly and keep going, but I could really, there, there's so much there in that word. Um, it, it refers to acts of worship. It's a word that's used in referring to 
to worship the musical instruments, actually. Ever get a song in your head that you can't get out? I think we all do, right? Um, It's that rehearsing, that bringing it back into your memory. And I would mispronounce the word, but it, it refers to the music on the harp. I'm just going to ask this. Do you, do you hear the music of God in your heart? Do you hear his songs? Do you allow that message, that communication from God to come into your heart? Do you open yourself up towards it? If you don't, just ask him for it. Often for me, but not always. It'll come in a form of a psalm. Sometimes it's other very, very different things that I would almost be too embarrassed to tell you. You think, gosh, he's becoming like Walt Whitman or John Muir or something, you know. But anyway, but, but how, how God speaks in nature And just how incredible his design was. Talk about reasonable or a thoughtful process when God designed the world. To me, it just fascinates me. A good and acceptable and a perfect will of God. This word perfect, there's different words in the Greek that are translated in the English perfect. This word is interesting because Homer, who's Homer? He wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, right? He was a Greek guy. Homer used it in his writings when it referred to unblemished sacrificial animals. I thought that was fascinating. So that would have been a common understanding of this word at that time. In the process of sacrifice, it really is what? It's an act of, we saw this a couple of weeks ago, it's an act of worship. So even in, in, in the particular words that the Holy Spirit laid upon Paul to write, he's cycling us back, he's referring us back, he's intimating us back, hinting us of all of this is an act of worship. This perfect will of God. which is something that only happens when our minds are renewed. That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The will of God, and I I looked up this word will, and it talks about this idea of, of what one wishes to bring about the activity of others. Or to actually even can refer to this, uh, this idea, to whom one assigns a task to. So in other words, the will of God is something that we walk in, something that we engage in, something that we actually do. 
something that we are assigned from God to perform so that he might be glorified. Just a couple of verses, and I'm going to be through here, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That God's will for our lives is that we are sanctified. And remember, I talked about this word sanctification, that it, the full meaning of it, and there are various meanings of it, I will, I will tell you, but one of the meanings of it is that it is talking about the instruments that were used in the worship of God, set aside strictly for their worship. I'm pulling that out of the Septuagint, Greek translation of the Old Testament again. But that is God's will for our lives, that we are set aside to worship him. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, that's a verse that I struggle with. I just do. I think I was even reminded of that That was why I paused, because there was something I went through this morning that I have not given thanks for. And and even the bad things. If nothing else, God, thank you for pulling me out of this bad mood this morning, you know? Peter talked about the idea of the the will of uh, God is that by us doing good, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2.15, It says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Boy, do I want to paraphrase that one for you. By our doing good, we will put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So that's that's hard to do. There's a lot of ignorance out there today. Can someone amen that amen? I mean, for goodness, there is. There's a lot of ignorance out there. There's a lot of foolishness out there. And God grant us the ability to separate the wheat from the chaff, but we put them to silence by doing good, by being able to prove that which is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. One more, 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. It says, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. He who does the will of God abides forever. See, this is our admonition for our entire life. This is God's lifelong invitation. And, and, and so I think that when we encounter these high bars that are set before us, these high standards that we feel like we can't get over, we need to recognize that they are part of our lifelong callings. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, it is a process. I don't think God ever expects anything more of you than what you are capable of 
unless he gives you the grace to exceed what you are capable of. And so he will never expect anything out of you that he does not give you the grace to be able to do. He's not an unfair God. These are admonitions for our our entire life. And and when we do the will of God, where it says the will of God, of those who do the will of God, that we abide forever, do we realize that when we do the will of God, then we are tapping into something of eternal value? Eternal remembrance? And something of eternal value? consequence that means that when you perform the will of god whatever it is or however big or how small or how medium it might appear to you that god looks at it god evaluates it god holds it in a much greater contents and a sense of importance that you and i could possibly even understand eternal value Eternal consequences? Eternal remembrance? Are we going to fall short of that? Yeah, we will. But he is faithful. He is faithful to be able to give us the grace that we need. if we simply reason, give careful, thoughtful thinking to what it means to be a worshiper of God. Jesus said it differently in Matthew chapter 6. He said that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these things will be added unto you. That really takes a lot of pressure off of us. So if I mess up, and I will, and I do, and I will again, I just go back to seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And I trust that all these things will be added because he is a faithful God. Amen.